All right, so chapter 5. So let me just uh, remind us of our context. The Apostle John, remember, was on the island of Patmos, somewhere between 90 and 100 years old. He's getting up there in age. He has been exiled to that island um, by the Romans. That was kind of like a prison um, type place, like an Alcatraz. Um, they, would do, uh, they would do mining there and other work on that island. It's possible that John was there with other people, but possibly he was there all alone. We don't know for sure. In any event, in that place of isolation, he receives the greatest revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and as we've studied this book, it is the unveiling, the uncovering of Jesus Christ and all of his glory, all of his splendor, all of his majesty. And we're getting a taste of that as we work our way through these chapters. And, and one day that's going to be a reality when we see him face to face and out of these tents and into our new bodies. And I can't wait for that. I'm so excited for that to be with our Jesus and to see new facets of his, of his grace for all eternity and how beautiful it's going to be um, when we're there with him. And so John, we moved into chapter 4 and 5. And remember, Jesus gave us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, he gave us an outline for the entire book. You guys remember that? Chapter 1, verse 19. Jesus told John to write down the things which you've seen. That was chapter 1, the vision of Jesus Christ. And then write down the things which are, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the letters to the seven churches, seven literal churches that existed in John's day. But we know the church age continued on up until today. And then Jesus also told John to write down the things which must take place after this or what will happen after this. And so that's where we've come to the things that must take place after this. After what? We have to ask ourselves, after what? After the church age, future events, future things. This is our future we're reading about this morning. Chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the church in heaven with Jesus Christ. How glorious. Chapter 6 through 19, great tribulation, gnarly, heavy stuff's going to be happening during that time period. Chapter 19, Jesus comes back, right? Sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. After the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, a new heaven, the new heavens and the new earth will be created and we will be, we'll live happily ever after. How about that? That sound good? Does that sound good to anybody here this morning? I shared with the first service, um, I don't know if you guys read the news or not, but Garth Brooks just did a concert down in uh, Baton Rouge at LSU. And it was so loud Here's this secular dude playing his country tunes, and, and he's a gifted dude. Don't get me wrong. He's gifted. The place was rocking so hard in the stadium, it actually set off the seismograph and it, like a small earthquake. And I think, man, why doesn't that happen this morning? I mean, it started to. I thought it was, I, I was feeling like it. It's like, oh. I mean, that last song we sang, it's like, yeah. Man, praise him now. He's just as holy. <laughs> Lift him up and honor him and glorify. We do it with Altuve, don't we? Altuve goes deep. What do we do? To win the game. What, we wear his shirt, right, with Altuve on the back. I saw a bunch of Altuve people out there. Like, that's not Altuve. What's he doing at Walmart? But the dude hits a jack, he goes deep and wins the game, and what does everybody do? 
yeah, going nuts. Jesus Christ risen from the grave, worthy of all of our praise. Woo! Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Like, hallelujah. This is where we are in this scene. This is where we are headed. Why? Because of something we've done? No way. Because of what Jesus did. He's the worthy one. And so we worship him. Listen, worship is ascribing worth to Jesus. Is he worthy to you? Do you value him this morning? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pick up in chapter 5. And remember, John is in the throne room there. And what caught his attention in chapter 4 was the throne and the one sitting on the throne. And, and John was unable to describe the Father who uh, no one has seen at any time. And, and, but he does see these colors, amazing colors, um, that, that, that on the throne. And he knows it's, it's the Father. He knows it's God Almighty. And then he sees 24 lesser thrones. And, and on the thrones, I believe, those 24 thrones and those elders on the thrones represent the redeemed church and we'll talk about that more in just a minute and then there's these four uh, living creatures and, and and then they got these different faces and and I'll bet John's mind is blown just looking at those created beings right and so and then all of a sudden worship breaks out and they're worshiping um, the Lord for his his creative power and his sovereignty also. And then now we roll into chapter five and John, it says, he says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so let's, let me draw your attention to verse one for a moment. So John looks and, and John, remember, he's trying to do the best he can throughout this um, entire book of Revelation to do the best he can to describe the things he is seeing. And so he looks, and what does he see? He looks and he sees in the right hand of the Father. Remember, it's the Father who's sitting on the throne. In his right hand, a scroll. And remember, John was supernaturally transported in chapter 4 to the throne room right there. And he looks and he sees the Father with this scroll in his right hand. 
And uh, remember, the right hand in Scripture is the hand of authority, of power. And the question is, what in the world is this scroll sealed with seven seals? Well, a scroll was made of papyrus or animal skin, parchment paper. And what's interesting about this scroll is that it's written on both sides, and then it's sealed with seven seals. And so as you're opening it, you have to open it, and, and sequentially as you're opening, you're breaking the seals with each little bit that you're opening as you begin to open the whole thing. And in ancient times, especially um, in the Roman Empire, scrolls that were sealed, it was either for someone's will, it could have been for a real estate transaction, it could be for an inheritance, also um, title deeds, for again, for a piece of property or real estate. Um, and so this is, if it's written on both sides, I would say, number one, it's complete. You can't add anything to it. Correct? Um, seven seals means it's securely sealed. If you're taking notes, Jeremiah 32 and Ezekiel chapter 2 are two kind of cross-references. In, in the Bible, we see a number of different places where their scrolls are mentioned. I'm pointing these two out because... Um, the one in Jeremiah was a real estate transaction. It was a, uh, a purchase deed for a piece of property he bought from his, Jeremiah bought from his cousin. And so in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, there was a scroll that was written on both sides with lamentations and woes and mournings. And so it was a heavy, the stuff that was written on it was heavy. And so what is this scroll that we are reading about? This is a very important uh, uh, a piece of parchment, if you will. Um, the, the son takes it from the father we just read. No one else was able to touch it. No one was able even to look at it. So what is this scroll? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion. And so I have the microphone. So you're entitled to your own distorted opinion on this. Here's what I believe it is. I believe um, this is the title deed to planet Earth. The title deed to planet Earth, and on the scroll are written all of the terms and conditions concerning this, if you will, uh, this real estate transaction. Remember with me, uh, in the beginning, who created the Earth? God created the Earth, created man. You guys remember that? God gave dominion to who? To man. Man forfeited dominion when he sinned and guess what he gave his authority to satan for a time period for a period of time and how do we know that well let me give you a few verses okay second corinthians chapter four second corinthians chapter four if you're taking notes i'm going to read these verses um the apostle paul refers to satan it says uh, he's called the God of this age. The God of this age. In Galatians, or uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, it says about Satan that he is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So he's the ruler of this age, the prince of the power of the air. And listen to what, uh, remember what Jesus said when he was tempted in the wilderness? When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, remember that three times, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. 
Satan took Jesus up on a high mountain. You guys remember this? And showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment's time and said, you can have all of this. This is all yours if you bow down and worship me. You guys remember that? And Jesus said, what? You shall worship the Lord your God only in him shall you serve. Jesus didn't say, no, you can't give me that. He just said, here's where the proper worship needs to be, not to you. And Jesus said, remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, if you're taking notes, in John chapter 12, Jesus said, now, this is before the cross, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Did you guys catch that? John said in 1 John 5 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And Jesus said, listen, the ruler of this world will be cast out. But right now he's a squatter. Does that make sense? He's a squatter. He doesn't own this place. But Jesus at the cross purchased not only you and I, but he purchased this whole world. In fact, Jesus told a parable about this. If you're taking notes, Matthew 13. I'm going to read it real quick. Matthew 13. I think it's Matthew 13. It is. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Isn't that beautiful? You and I are the treasure. The field is the world. And what did Jesus do? He's the one that left everything to come here. He found us. We didn't find him. Right? God wasn't lost. We didn't find him. We found him. He found us. He rescued us. And so Jesus came, paid the price, not only for the field, for the world, but also the treasure, which is you and me. That's amazing, you guys, to consider this morning. He paid the price for you and for me, but also for planet Earth as well. If, if we didn't piece all of this together, that whole passage in chapter 2 of Hebrews would not make sense It says in Hebrews chapter 2, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And then the writer of Hebrews says, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Speaking of man, but we see Jesus. We don't see it all yet. All things put under our feet. One day we will rule and reign with Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And so, but we do see Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And so one who is worthy, redeemed, bought back, I believe, the title deed to planet Earth um, at the cross. And in due time, the usurper of the world will be dealt with and the rightful owner will take possession. And we'll see that at his second coming. Um, And by the way, the scroll, we're going to see next week, if we get through this chapter, (laughs) the seven seals will be opened. Each one sequentially. With each seal that's opened, tribulation is unleashed. Judgment comes on planet Earth. And what's obvious 
Whatever view you take about this scroll, what is obvious is that with each seal that is opened, steps are taken to fix what is wrong with planet Earth. And there's a lot wrong with planet Earth. Is there a lot wrong with planet Earth? Or is it good and getting gooder? We're, we're, we're swirling around the toilet. For lack of a better word. There's something radically wrong with the earth, and it's sin. And so this scroll is important. It appears to involve the fate of the whole world, of the entire planet. And in fact, it's so important, the next 15 chapters center around this scroll. At the opening of the seventh seal, when the seventh seal is open, it kicks off seven trumpet judgments. And with each blast of the trumpet comes another judgment. And then at the seventh trumpet comes seven more bowls of judgment that will also happen sequentially um, in order. Also more judgment coming. And so this is future, what we're looking at. I don't believe that we will be here during that tribulation period when the seals are opened um, because we're in chapter four and five. How do we get to chapter four and five? The rapture of the church. Jesus coming and taking us out of here to be in the Father's house to the place he's prepared for us. Well, look at verse two with me. And so it says, John says, he sees something else. He says, then I saw, what did John see? A strong, is that like a really buff angel? Like muscular? Like ripped? The word's also used for mighty angel. He's a mighty angel with a booming voice. Because he says what? It says, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll, scroll and to loose its seals? I would say, in other words, who is the rightful heir? Who's the rightful heir? Who is worthy? That's right. You guys are getting, ahead. You guys are getting a little ahead. You're excited this morning. I like that. We're getting there. But look what happened. Look at verse 3. No man, no woman, no created being, no matter what their position, no matter what their status in life, no matter what their location, no one was able to not only open the scroll, but even to look at it. That's a dilemma, isn't it? Is that a dilemma? In fact, it's such a big dilemma. Look at the next verse. John's response is what? John wept much. And, and, and you read that, it means, listen, it means to sob convulsively. It's loud. He's sobbing. He's, he's aching. Remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey, he sobbed convulsively when he looked at the city and knowing what would happen there in Jerusalem. John is just sobbing, weeping here. Why? Look what it says. Because, that's a reason word, no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. You know what that means? That means the world would continue to go in the same direction. Getting worse and worse, more evil, more wicked, darker and darker and darker. Someone needs to step in and do what needs to be done. And so one of the elders responds, look at verse 5. One of those, remember we learned last week, they were sit seated on thrones, wearing white robes, crowns. He responds to John's weeping. And what does he say to John? Do not, stop crying. 
Give me one good reason. Behold, what does it say? Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has what? What does it say? Has prevailed. Hallelujah. This is awesome. So John is sobbing, convulsing, and then all of a sudden an elder, we don't know if he got off his throne or from his throne, he just says, dude, stop crying. Loose Robertson paraphrase. (laughs) Stop weeping. Behold, check it out, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. By the way, those are two messianic uh, uh, titles for Jesus. For the Christ, one comes from, if you're taking notes, Genesis 49, verses, I think it's verses 9 through 10. Messianic passage, speak, predicting, speaking about Jesus Christ coming, the Savior. In the book of Hosea, chapter 5, God himself describes himself as a lion. And Jesus was not only from the tribe of Judah. He was from the tribe of Judah, correct? In his humanity, correct? He had to come from the tribe of Judah. But he also had to come from the lineage of who? Of David, right? The royal lineage, the kingly lineage. And he did on his mom's side, his mom Mary, and his stepdad's side, Joseph, as well. But this says what? It says the root of David. Revelation 22, Jesus will say himself that he is the root and offspring of David. Isn't that interesting? So he's not only David's offspring through, through, through Mary, but he's also, if you're the root of something, you're the source. You're the originator. In other words, he's the creator of David. He's not only the offspring, but he's the creator. You know what that means? That speaks of his humanity and his deity. Isn't that beautiful? You guys, remember when the Pharisees tripped out? They were questioning Jesus. You guys, remember that? And Jesus turned it around on them and asked them a question. Was he asking a question because he didn't know? He asked them, how could the Christ be both David's son and David's Lord? And he caught them, right? Uh, duh. <laughs> And these are the guys, they were the Bible answer men. They should have known. How could the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, be both David's son and David's Lord only if he's 100% God and 100% man? (laughs) Amen. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the elder points John to Jesus with the ascribing two messianic titles or names. And I love what it says that the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. That word prevailed means he conquered, he overcame, he was victorious. Remember what it said in Revelation 3.21, Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. I love this, what he says. This was before the cross. This was before the suffering, the pain that he endured for us. Jesus said, listen, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. 
in the world, you will have tribulation. It's going to get gnarly, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It's awesome. And so Jesus prevailed. He's the only worthy one. He's the only worthy one. Why? Because he's the one that prevailed. And that should free us up this morning, shouldn't it? He's the only one that's worthy. Is that freeing to anybody else? Because some people go around saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. You're right. You're not worthy. Get over it, bro. (laughs) There's only one that's worthy. Don't have this big old pity party. Just read your Bible. Recognize there's only one worthy one. It's going to be all right. Well, he's the one that's worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals. Can I remind us this morning, Jesus alone is qualified to bring about this restoration of the earth and bring the glory of heaven here in his second coming. And, and I would say, there's, I think there's one more bit of application in this. Do you guys ever run into people that are hurting, sad, weeping, broken, looking for answers? Can I encourage you to do just like the elder there did? What did he do? He pointed John to Jesus. Point that hurting one to Jesus. He's, Jesus is always the answer. Do you guys know that? Jesus is always the answer. Do you guys believe that? He's always the answer. If you don't believe that, you, at some point you'll find out. I love, I love when uh, my kids were little and we do Bible study at the table. And you, you guys don't like to ask questions. Really? Duh. Every question, you know what their answer was? Jesus! And that's, that's right, but it says this. Jesus! You're right. But really, he is. He's always the answer because it's all about him. It's all, he's always the answer. He's always the sufficient one. He's the only one that you need for everything. He's the expert in all things. Well, that's a different Bible study. So the elder says, check it out. And then John is expecting to see a lion. And he turns, and what does he see? What, does he see a mountain goat? What's he see? He sees a lamb. This is amazing. Look, at, look what it says. And I looked, and behold, in the midst, or in the middle of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst, or the middle of the elders stood, please notice that, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So John looks and says, check it out. Whoa, right in the middle, at the center of it all, there's a lamb standing with literally marks of slaughter, wounds. Isn't that amazing? For all, and so just a side note, for all eternity, you and I will be reminded of the price that Jesus paid for you and for me by his grace. Remember what Jesus said to, we call him Doubting Thomas. Remember what he said to Thomas? He said to Thomas, Thomas, reach your finger here and take my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. He's like, check it out, fresh wounds. And so... 
At least 28 times in the book of Revelation, maybe 29 times in the book of Revelation, the lamb is referred to. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus? He said, behold, check it out, the lamb of God who what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, check it out, a lamb. Humble, gentle. It speaks, of, it speaks of his humility, his gentleness, his sacrificial love. I'm challenged by that. I don't know about you guys. Because as the Lord, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Are we becoming more humble, more gentle, and more sacrificial in our love? And Jesus is the lamb who still has the wounds of crucifixion. A reminder of his grace, the price he paid. But notice John sees something else. And remember, we've talked about earlier on in our study that there's a lot of symbolic imagery in this book, but there's the best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. Are you with me? It's not like we can start coming up with our own interpretations. So we compare Scripture with Scripture. You guys remember the number seven in Scripture represents completion, fullness, Right? Seven days in a week, seven notes in a scale for you musicians, right? And so seven speaks of the fullness. Horns, if you study the scriptures, speaks of power and authority and strength. Sometimes horns are used for rulers as a, as a symbolic uh, reference or representation. But also horns sometimes symbolically represent nations or or, or people groups as well. You can check it out. Daniel chapter 7 is a place you can look later. And then eyes. When you see eyes in scripture, it speaks of understanding, discernment. So what's being communicated here as John sees the lamb with the marks of slaughter, that lamb is all-powerful and all-knowing. The com- completeness of power, strength, authority, right? Didn't Jesus say that? The Father has given me all power, all authority. Now you go and make disciples, right? He's not only the all-authoritative one, he's the all-powerful one as well. He knows, he's omniscient too. He knows everything going on. You know he knows everything going on in your life too. He sees, he sees everything, total understanding. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 2, guys remember, he didn't need anybody to tell him what was in a man. He already knew what's in a man, I already know what's going on inside of you. I know what you're all about. I want to help you. I want to work in your life. And then this reference, the the seven spirits is a, if you're taking notes, Zechariah chapter 4 and Zechariah chapter 13. You can can find those on your own. They are a, the seven eyes are a picture of the omniscience uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so again, Jesus, all-knowing, all-seeing, um, by means of the Holy Spirit especially, the Holy Spirit upon him has the fullness of the Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, John 16, 7. Jesus baptizes with the Spirit also, Matthew three eleven. But can I just point out something here as we move forward? Notice the Lamb is standing. He's not dead, he's alive. He's risen. And he's right at the center of it all. This morning, is he at the center of your life? Listen, if if he is, if he's number one and he's at the center of your life, everything's going to work out. If he's off center, if you put him out out away somewhere else, 
It's, it's like you're going to get off balance, man. Like a tire that's not bad. Boom, boom, boom. You're going to be, man, doing circles, doing donuts until you put him right at the center of your life. Well, look at verse 7. Then what happens? So John sees the lamb, and then he, that's Jesus, the son, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Isn't that amazing? So all of a sudden, here goes Jesus, right? And he goes up and he takes the scroll out of the Father's hand. This is beautiful. And we'll see what happens next. Do you guys remember George Foreman? You remember George Foreman? Some of you are like, hey, I got that grill, man. George Foreman, you're talking about? Who is that dude? Before he started making grills, he was a boxer, heavyweight champ. Some of you know that. You guys remember? Where are you going with this, Pastor? I, I'm going somewhere. Just wait. He won, he won a major bout years ago. And, and, you know, if you ever watch boxing, the winner is right there in the center of the ring. He's at the center of it all. And there is the guy. There's like all the, the promoter. Don, who's the guy? That, Don King? Is that what it is? He's there. All the promoters. All the people taking photos, right? People are trying to stick the, the microphones in his face. And then, one, and then all of a sudden, here comes the TV. And they're about to interview him. And everything gets silent. And he's got a towel on his shoulder. And all of a sudden, when it gets silent, when the interview is about to happen, here comes this little hand reaches up and grabs the towel and takes the towel. And George stops and he looks to see. And guess who it was? It was his son, George. He named all his sons George. (laughs) But the son was the only one that could have taken that towel from him. No one else could have taken the towel from George but his son. And we see here the son taking the scroll from the father, the only one. I know it's a lame illustration, but it helps me. (laughs) Something I remember. It's the one thing I remember. (laughs) But in any event... With the receiving of the scroll, judgment and power over earth are rightfully committed now to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, what's the response of heaven? Let's check it out. What happens next? You guys ready? Ready. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Yes, thank you. Now, when he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, you guys remember them, the cherubim, seraphim, angelic beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints scroll gets taken by the son from the father and the angelic beings and the 24 elders They fall down. They prostrate themselves. And notice what the 24 elders have. And let me just remind us, we previously learned in chapter 4, I believe the 24 elders represent church-age believers. We see, and and I think I'll be able to build my case a little more by the song that we're going to be singing there. But notice each one had a harp. Each one had a harp. And sometimes, remember the old cartoons when the cartoon character would die, they'd float up and they'd have the harp and 
end up on a cloud. This is where you get it from, right here. But we're going to have harps perfectly tuned. I'm hoping distortion too. And a bowl full of incense. And by the way, harps, you go through the the book of uh, Psalms, harps were a traditional instrument used uh, in worship. But these bowls full of incense, what does it say? Which are the prayers of the saints. So the prayers of God's people over the centuries are kept in heaven. I would say even including the prayers that we've prayed, especially the model prayer that Jesus gave us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that will be a reality in Revelation 19 at Jesus' second coming. And we're going to see later in Revelation 8 that these prayers are connected with what the Lord will be doing at that time during the tribulation and at the end of the tribulation. But I think it's awesome just to consider our prayers are like incense this morning. If you're taking notes, Psalm 141, verse 2. David said, let my prayers be set before you like incense. Anybody here burn incense? Not me, man. I used to. It's really like, yeah. Anybody? Nobody burns incense here? Ever? You guys ever have? Never? Nobody? Here's the deal. What does incense do? You light it up, and it starts to float to the ceiling and float all around, and it attach. It smells off. I think it smells awesome. And it attaches itself to your clothes. It attaches itself to stuff in the room also. You with me? So how are our prayers like incense? Well, what do our prayers do? They rise to the edge of heaven, right into the throne room, and attach themselves to the heart of our Father. You know what this means? I mean, this is like mind-blowing. You know what this means? Is that your prayers matter to the Father. He's heard, sometimes you think, oh, I don't think he ever heard me. He's heard you. If we're praying, your will be done, Father, your choice, your timing. Here's what I'd like to see done, but Father, your will is best. You do, I, I know that you see the whole picture. You see the big, everything. I only see a bit. Here's what I'd like to see done, but your will be done in my life, in this situation. And so, he keeps track of our, par- our prayers. They matter to him. And then, notice what happens next. And they sang a new song. What's this song? Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and have redeemed us to God. How? By your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Isn't that a beautiful song? There's only one group of people that can sing that song, those that are redeemed. Anybody here been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? That's the song we're going to be singing. I would encourage you to get to know that song, because when we get there, at some point we're going to sing that song and all these other songs in here. And if you don't know them, don't say you went to Calvary Chapel, West Houston. <laughs> Tell them you went to 83rd Baptist up the road or whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, Calvary Chapel, 
Friends would. New song. New song means new, means unprecedented. It means new in quality. It means fresh. This morning we sang a new song, didn't we? The last song that we sang, wasn't that beautiful? It's amazing. You know the Bible tells us to sing a new song? Psalm 33, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Someone shouted out here earlier, shout of joy. We did it. Thank you, Lord. We were obedient. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. We all sang together this morning. We were obedient. Psalm 98, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. We've sung to the Lord, haven't we, for the marvelous things he's done this morning? I will sing a new song to you, O God, on a harp of ten strings. I will sing praises to you. So you get home, break out your harp. (laughs) Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. Isaiah 42 verse 10 is another place also. Um, We're going to sing a new song in heaven. We're, We're exhorted, encouraged, commanded to sing a new song even now. Listen, are you still singing new songs? Do you sing new songs to the Lord ever? Do you sing songs to the Lord anymore? It's an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, which is a waste, but be filled continually with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Is the Lord still hearing the melody in your heart this morning, brother or sister? If not, can I encourage you to meditate on this passage? To be reminded that we're going to be in this scene right here. Man, sing it. Just make up a song. Roses are red, violets are blue. I love Jesus and I need some shoe goo. Hallelujah. You can make up a song and sing it to him. Because he loves to hear from his kids. Don't you love to hear from your kids? Yes. Parents. You are, why is Jesus worthy to take the scroll and open its seals? Look what it says. Because he gave his life. He was slaughtered and is alive. Lord, you are qualified to fix the earth because you gave your life. You became one of us and died for us. You are alive. You are worthy. We've been purchased for God, the Father, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood. He gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins, to set us free, and to make us his very own. Jesus' blood was the price of redemption. And then notice what else. God, isn't, aren't you glad God's equal opportunity? Look what it says at the end of verse 9. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There's a, there are going to be a whole bunch of believers singing this song. And we're all going to be singing together. Lifting up our voices in gratitude to the one who saved us and set us free. Salvation is a free gift offered to anyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whomsoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. And the 24 elders, I love this, represent believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Only the church can sing this song right here. 
verse 10. And notice, but wait, there's more. Jesus made us kings and priests. He's made us royalty and given us a a position of ministry. Um, We were told that already in the first chapter. In in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, it says, To him, Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we shall reign on the earth. What a future. We, we shall or we will reign on the earth. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know what that's going to look like, but that's a promise. It's part of the song we're going to be singing. We get to participate with Jesus when he sets up his kingdom on this earth. And so our relationship to God as kings and priests has been made possible by Jesus' redemption, and we're guaranteed to reign with the Lord on the earth. It's all by his grace. We did not deserve it. And we will ascribe worth to the Lord for all eternity for what he's done. Look what happens next as we finish. Last four verses. And so John, John hears this new song, and then he says, I looked and I heard the voice. Singular. All, everybody's singing together. The voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And, and John is using at that time the highest Greek uh, uh, term for uh, an, an innumerable value. And so he looks and heaven is crowded. Heaven is crowded. 10,000, the highest numerical value in Greek. He's unable to count or even number the whole multitude. And it says in verse 12, they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus who gave his life is worthy to receive these seven things the one who left his throne to come here. I mean, think about that. He left the the glory of this scene to come here, to be abused, spit upon, mocked, beaten, nailed to a cross for you and for me. And he could have escaped it at any time, called upon a multitude of angels to rescue him. But what did he do? He willingly laid down his life that we might be with him here in this scene. And look how it finishes out. Verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. John hears all of creation communicating this. Is that amazing? All creation. He sees every living creature. I don't know how that happened. He sees, what kind of creatures do we have here? What kind of critters we have around here? Not the person sitting next to you. I mean, yesterday, there was a whole bunch of dolphin out there at surf camp. Can you imagine them praising the Lord? Did it sound like Flipper? Or they, is this, are they speaking in English? Or what's the deal? The cucarachas, too? I don't know. That's every creature. 
I'm a literal teacher of God's word. It's going to be amazing. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. If you haven't done that, if you haven't bowed your life to Jesus and confessed him as Lord, listen, you will someday. That's a reality. But you don't want to do it after you die and realize you're wrong. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart if you hear his voice. He loves you. He demonstrated his love for you by giving his life to save you, to rescue, that you might be in this scene. I mean, can you just, before we finish, we've got one verse. I am going to finish this chapter. Listen, brother or sister, you and I will be in this scene. And those loved ones that have went on before us will be in this scene. Anybody have loved ones that are at home in heaven already? You're longing to see them? We have people in this church with children that have gone home to be with Jesus. People in this congregation that serve the Lord with everything they had that have gone home to be with Jesus. Mr. Lee, Miss Victoria. I think about my father-in-law. They're, they're going to be there with us together. And we're going to recognize, wow, we didn't deserve this. Lord, thank you. Oh, being blown away by his grace. Different facets of his grace. And I can't wait because I'm going to see my son run. I'm going to see him bow down, fall down. I can't wait to do that with him. And then the four living creatures said, amen. Amen. So be it. That's the truth. That's what amen means. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. May we give the Lord the credit that he is due to ascribe worth. That's what worship means, to ascribe worth to him in every area of our lives. He's worthy of it all, amen? In Jesus' name.